Autism Through Cinema. Welcome to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, investigating autistic presence and expression on screen. This podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project, based at Queen Mary, University of London, and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on this project, please visit our website, autism-through-cinema.org.uk, and follow us on Twitter, at Autism Cinema. In today's episode, we welcome another special guest, autistic illustrator and film fan, Ash Lloyden. Ash has produced incredible conceptual artwork for a range of film events, including Fright Fest, Cine Excess, the Daydreaming with Stanley Kubrick exhibition, as well as commissioned portraits of Cameron Diaz, Kirk Jones and David Hess. But despite being a self-proclaimed fan of horror, Ash brings along one of his all-time favourite comfort films, the 2006 Pixar animation Cars. Joining Ash for this discussion are regular hosts David Hartley, Janet Harbord, John James Laidlow and Alex Widdowson. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Autism Through Cinema podcast. Um, welcome back and welcome to those people who may be joining us for the first time. Um, this is a podcast where a bunch of people just sit around and talk about films from the uh, point of view and from the context of Autism. So we have uh, three of our regular hosts. Well, four, I suppose, if you can include me. Um, so I'm David Hartley and I'm one of the regular hosts. We've also got John James Laidlow, uh, Alex Widdowson and Janet Harbord here with us today. Um, but we've also got a very extra special guest with us today. Um, Ash Lloyden is in the house um, and we're very excited to have Ash with us. Ash has brought along the film that we're going to be discussing today, which is um, the, the Pixar film Cars. Um, and what I'm going to do now is I'm going to hand over to Ash and he's going to introduce himself and then introduce Cars and then we'll, we'll uh, have a discussion about it. So Ash, over to you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, yeah, as uh, Dave said, my name is Ash, and I've chosen Disney Pixar's Cars. Bit back from from I'm an illustrator uh, based in Glasgow, which gives you a paint your picture of me. Um, mainly uh, jumping between either film based work or kind of proper serious things with museums and stuff. And when it comes to cinema, uh, the, the best way to sum me up is my first memory from about two and a half years old isn't of my parents, it's of sneaking out my cot to sneak into the living room to watch James Wales Frankenstein which says more about me, I think, than anything else. So from kind of three, four, cinema has been my thing. It's just something that I absolutely adore. The reason I've chosen Cars is basically absolutely great film, but about going for it. Your, your normal everyday plot that doesn't seem that exciting, but uh, Lightning McQueen is a rookie racing driver who's come from nowhere to almost he could win the Piston Cup so in the final race of the season, him, uh, Strip Weathers, the king, who's the reigning champion, and bad boy Chick Hicks are racing. But bizarrely, there's a three-way tie at the end of the race. So it's going to be re-raced with all three of them the week later. But on the way to the race, uh, things happen. Lightning ends up in the small town of Radiator Springs, where he learns to slow down and take life at a slower pace. 
and also uh, meets Doc Hudson, who's the uh, mayor of the town, who may hold a dark secret along the way. So it's it's a film about growth and, and friendship and much as much this is with most Pixar movies, but this one's slightly different. Lovely. Thank you, Ash. And um, can you tell us a bit about um, why this film connects to you in terms of autism? I can indeed. Uh, like I was saying, I went to the cinema from an early age. I think my first cinema trip probably was three to see Mary Poppins. It was the night my folks were at the Exorcist opening. Um, so when we had kids ourselves, one of the first things very autistic, thing, mm, what films are they going to be into? Because this is something that's really important. So uh, we had our twins first and uh, we took them to the cinema the first time at six months to see Revenge of the Sith because it had to be an important film for their first cinema trip. And when they got to kind of three or four, it was just when Cars was kind of the big thing. And as you know, you kind of, you grow up with Disney, you kind of go, oh, everyone's into this. We'll get it. We'll see if the girls liked it. And they absolutely adored it. But watching it myself, I absolutely adored it. I cried at the opening. I cried at the songs. Then our youngest is a couple of years younger, cast. He got into Cars as well. So it's kind of been a constant. Uh, to a point of uh, the other week we were at shopping cast is 15 there and we went past the charity shop and there was a a massive mac toy from cars it was like mac please he still absolutely adores it and it it just seems to be a film that kind of resonates with autistic people kind of more than a lot of the the other pixar output partly i think that is as well that john lassiter the director is autistic (laughs) which it's it's kind of the unspoken rule, but there's uh, little bits of interviews and the way he talks about the film in interviews. And the surprising thing of, he once said in an interview, they asked him, which character do you most relate to? And he said, Mater, who is the the kind of backwards hick truck. And he said, yeah, I'm most like Mater. Mater's based on me. And as you know, Mater's on the autistic spectrum. And he he went on to say, uh, Mater's actually a savant and, really 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 intelligent and really good at fixing things it's just that he forgets what he's doing and talks about other things so it's kind of quite interesting that there's a an autistic character in the film who's just a character but the director and writer goes yeah he's an autistic character and he's based on me which kind of gives you an insight into why cars as a film and i think when, when it came out when uh, people were talking about it on on kind of websites which where we kind of felt it might be suitable i remember people saying that um if your autistic child or adult in my case can make it past the first five minutes of the film it will be their favorite film ever and as you've seen the, the opening five minutes of cars is really really intense uh, the race scene the lighting the noise the fast cuts um, but the, the interesting thing about that is not only sensory-wise is it just huge, you get everything you need to know about the film and the characters within that. I timed it the other night, within four and a half minutes of the film opening, you find out who Lightning McQueen is, you find out who the King is, you find out who Chick Hicks is, you get introduced to the world, there's the Elvis car, and then there's the Pope car, and so you actually realise what this world is that you're living in. And the really nice thing is once you have that, the life is a highway section when Max taking lightning to California is actually played out really slowly to the song. It's the full song plays. And it's something once you've seen it a couple of times, you realize it's just scenery. It's just nice rolling fields and natural colors. And it's almost like they know 
we need to let you calm down a little bit now before the film carries on. Here's some scenery. And it, it I think it, it's just one of those films that just works. The film works really well as a concept, partly because the way that the cars look, the faces, uh, normally, and I think the designers toyed with it to begin with, that the eyes were going to be in the headlights, but it makes the cars look really squashed and sinister. So they put the eyes in the windscreen, which gives them that kind of Thomas the Tank Engine look, so that they're really expressive. The eyes and the the, the meds are really expressive. The headlights then become the cheeks. So you get this kind of hole. And the, the clever thing as well is the you, you might not realise it when you watch it, but the car's features are actually based on the actors playing them. If you take a picture of Paul Newman from, like, the 80s and you take a picture of Doc Hudson, it's Paul Newman. You know, like McQueen is Owen Wilson. So from that whole design point of view, it's the, the colours that design the cars. The cars are all based on real cars, even though they're cartoon cars, if that makes sense. And plus that, it's toys. You want to collect the characters from cars because they're cars, but they're cars with personalities and the different colours for the different racing teams and the different outfits you can get for the guys. You just want to collect them. I mean, my children collect them and I have a huge collection of Lightning McQueen and Doc Hudson cars. It just seems to, you know, strike home with every single thing about it and it's it's one of those films that the, the plot's really simple without being simplistic the the acting is really really it's got a top-notch cast um i just think everything about it's perfect and i'll stop for a minute otherwise i will just carry on for hours and i'll jump in whenever you say something. As you can tell, I quite like cars. Yeah, I can tell. Well, it's, it's, it's a really interesting uh, entry for our podcast, I think, because this is like clearly a, uh, not just a it's, a... it's a film which offers a kind of richness for autistic viewers, I think, uh, adult and ch- children alike. Um, from what you're describing there, it seems to be something that, yeah, as you say, there's a kind of there's a real autistic pleasure to be had with this film. You mentioned Thomas the Tank Engine, which I think is also a, a similar, um, like, uh, pro- as a program that I think a lot of autistic people often connect with as well. It's quite famously kind of uh, an autism text in many ways. And it's also just worth noting, I know that the podcast is not a, not a visual medium, but we are all on Zoom looking at each other. And Ash has got a, um, a, a big Mac toy just behind his shoulder, which I'm enjoying watching and looking at whilst you were talking there with the big eyes looking over your shoulder, um, which is really nice. And then Audrey Hepburn as well, just above your, just above your head. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, let's just open this out then. See uh, how did other people react to cars? This is quite an unusual one for us on the podcast. We've not really considered a full uh, animated children's film before on the podcast. So um, yeah, Alex, John, James, Janet, do you have anything to add here at this stage? Yeah, I, I'm listening to what you're saying, Ash, about design, and I, I, I find that. I find that quite fascinating that the, the, the design of the cars and so on have a particular appeal. And I can also, you know, I can see how that reaches into collectability and the, the way in which the film might extend outside of the time of watching into pleasures around collecting and, and so on. Um, and the pace, I think what you were talking about, the pace or the rhythm of the film that gives you this in, incredible intensity at moments and then gives you time to kind of come out of that and calm down um, 
and, you know, take a break from the velocity in this film, literally. But I just wanted to go back to that that opening moment that you referenced um, and sort of thinking about the way in which we are asked to, to inhabit the space of, of a character as a cart and thinking about that as, as an object. It, for me, I, it, one of my notes that I wrote about this was that it, the, the film has this incredible ease in the way that it asks us just to um, experience from a point of view that is is, is a mechanical object. Um, and there's, this has come up quite a lot in our podcast over the last year or so, the way in which attachment to objects um, in, in, in autism is, is often very strong. Um, and it's sort of, that's the, that's one of the things that is quite often kind of pathologized about autism in clinical terms. Um, and, you know, filmically there's, there's usually a sense in which human figures are put at the center of, of films, the center of stories. And there's that lovely moment at the beginning of this where we're asked to kind of think and feel as the car. And, it, and, and, and the line is, you know, OK, here we go. Focus, speed. I am speed. One winner, 42 losers. I eat losers for breakfast and so on. And that idea of I am speed seemed to me in, to speak to a lot of the the, 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 the intensity of um, sensory experience that uh, is is associated with with an autistic apprehension of the world, and so that when when you talk about the opening setting you know setting up the film in terms of the characters and so on, I think it also sets up a relationship of us to the world through characters as machines as 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 objects as cars, and is inviting this kind of sense of a sensory relationship to the world as much as, you know, an emotional one. We do get that. We get that in the love story with Portia and so on and, and, and when we get to the town. But it seems to be doing something else too. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree with what you said. The thing that I find about the, the actual taking the cars as, as characters, it was something I wrote a, a blog post about years ago. It's it's a really basic way of putting it. It was somebody had asked about, um, why about children for sea eaters? And I always put it, it's not that we're fussy, it's that the first time we experience something almost becomes the default setting for what that thing is, if that makes sense. So if you have cheese pizza, that cheese pizza becomes the default setting for cheese pizza. Um, and the way that relates is I always remember my, my first major, major cinema trip that I really wanted to go to. I'd be age five and my local cinema in Dudley showed the Planet of the Apes movies. And I kind of had a vague notion of what they were, went to see them. And to this day, I was five at the time, I'm 51 now. I still can't get over the fact that the apes are people dressed up in the original Planet of the Apes because it had such a profound effect on me. So I think there's a very autistic way of you kind of just accept cars. They're cars, they can speak. Yeah, that's fine. We can just move on. And I think a lot of autistic people who love them don't ever lose that. I'd like to say innocence, but it's the imagination of just accepting what happens in a film. As long as it, the, the film has kind of in-universe rules that they don't break, and as long as it's enjoyable, you just accept it and move on. I think a lot of people, as they get older, kind of have to over-compensate kind of for, oh, I like this film. I like it in an ironic way. Oh, I like this. Whereas I think, autistically, especially for me and my kids as well, there are films we just love because... They just make sense. And with cars, it's one of those things, it seems really silly, but I never, I was talking to my wife about it, we were rewatching this week, and I was, I kind of forget that they're cars. And she pointed out to me at the start, 
who taps on the back of Mac's door to tell Lightning the racism because nobody has any hands. And I was like, Mac taps it with it. It's fine. Just move on from that because you just accept that that's world. You don't, you'll get people watching it. Why have the cars got door handles? Things like that don't register because you go, no, this is a world populated by cars. Yeah, that's fine. Let's move on with that. But I think uh, what Jake said about the opening is totally right. And you, you get kind of the blank screen with the original, the first I am speed. You get a flash of the, the race and it cuts to black again. And it's almost like it's, it's, not, it's, easing you into it visually and orally as well because you're getting these flashes and then lightning actually says you know here we go then the film kicks in the main character actually almost tells you this is going to be intense for five minutes then but because it's the dulcet tones of owen wilson you're kind of trusting <laughs> as you were sort of talking um uh very interestingly about this uh, quite cohesive world, this universe built by Pixar for the film. And um, I, I mean, I didn't notice these small inconsistencies in the same way that I was noticing the details they go into to try and convince you of the universality of this uh, world. You know, like the, the streaks from airplanes in the sky actually make tire treads. And then the insects that fly around are actually tiny little vans. And it's, I think these details actually almost go the wrong way where they're like, they're like slipping in like jokes. Like we know this is too much information. Actually, this is going a little bit too far, but we're going to have fun with it. And I really enjoyed that about the, uh, the sort of universe or the world building. I think that the thing that you say about the too much information, I think it's, Especially with, I can only speak for myself and and the, the the autists in the house. You can never have too much information. You can never have too much detail. And I think that's the one thing with cars that does not just on screen but off screen. That I'm not a racing fan. I know nothing about cars. We we got a new car to start of the year. My wife drives. All I can tell you, it's a blue car. And bizarrely, it's the same blue as Doc Hudson. That's how I recognise it. But it's it's when you find out little things behind the screens, like um, the King, uh, the character of the King, he's played by Richard Petty, who's actually a NASCAR racer who had a record 200 Winston Cup wins, which means nothing, but he's there. And he's he raced with a, a racer called Dale Earnhardt, who died on the track, whose son went on to then race. There's a character in Cars that comes on for a minute, which is like Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's a friend of the King's. That's the actual son of the racer he raced with playing his car that he races in in real life. It's kind of details like that, that the autistic thing of, I must find everything about that I love about this film, that you kind of get blown away by the detail that, that's, it's not even throwaway. It's just there, but it's an added layer to, I mean, it, it, it's that fine line, I think, with a lot of kind of the family animated films that you get in the 90s and the, the, the early noughties, there would be for children, but you would have actors in it who would be there for the parents. There would be references to their other characters. And the thing I love, if this would be any other company, there would be references to Paul, um, Cool Hand Luke and things like that in the Doc Hudson character. But with this, it's, it's just Paul Newman playing Doc Hudson because he likes cars. There's none of these wink, wink, nudge, aren't we being clever? I think the nearest to it is Larry the Cable Guy playing Mater, who's effectively an American 
comedian who plays the character of Larry the Cable Guy. So it's almost meta in the way of it would be like Alan uh, Steve Coogan playing Alan Partridge in an episode of uh, Shaun the Sheep, but as a slightly different character. And that's the only way it works. But I think to British audiences, I don't think anyone knew or still does know who Larry the Cable Guy is. It's just Mater. So I think that was a lot of the, it doesn't fall into those tropes of let's aim it, let's cast it for this reason, that reason. I mean, voice cast wise, it's got, and if you look into it, it's got an incredible voice cast of like really, really kind of George Carlin's in it, uh, playing Fillmore, the, the, VW, the hippie VW. And again, it's George Carlin, famous kind of counterculture comedian, but he, they don't play on it being George Carlin. It's just got a really nice voice for it. And uh, one of my favourites, which I had to make a note about, is um, I'll try and remember his name. It's the guy that plays uh, the sheriff, Michael Wallace, who's not an actor. He wrote the definitive book on Route 66. So they cast him in a film about Route 66. It's things like that that should be utter madness and not work. But it's almost like we know autistic people like details. We know autistic people like to find things out. Here's loads of stuff for you to find out with this film and enjoy. And I think that's partly why I love it so much. That and the fact that it's a really, really nicely made film. Just a quick note on those sort of casting choices. I thought, like, there were a few cameos that seemed a little off. You know, like Michael Schumacher, like, slipped in at the end and he really didn't give much of a performance there. He was just like, oh, and by the way, I'm Michael Schumacher. Um, in the dialogue and then Jeremy Clarkson oh my goodness I mean I understand why they did that but you know for a British audience it's got very particular undertones that probably don't resonate in the UK in the US um, but yeah that threw me off a little yeah I think that's the first instance of Disney or Pixar doing that it was Jeremy uh, Preven played it in every other release and he was effectively playing the character from Entourage and they, they did it in the UK as Jamie Clarkson because Jamie Clarkson had just become a big thing in America. So they were, oh, this will be fun for... And I think that's the first instance of it. Other instances since then, if you remember when Captain America, The Winter Soldier came out, they had Steve Rogers had the notes of things to catch up on. And they did a poll in every country. So every country had different notes of what to look up for. And it kind of grew from cars. There's a scene in Iron Man 3, which is in the conference at the start, which in the Chinese release. It's a totally different scene with a Chinese actress in it who's a pop star. So that that is where that's, that, I think that it, I get what you mean about the clocks and there's a bit weird, but for the kids, they don't know who he is. <laughs> but I think that, that is important as well because it's the start of tailoring films for different markets. By actually having, I think there's one of the Toy Story films has Jonathan Ross in it. Uh, and this, but that, I think that is the first one having Jeremy Clarkson as uh, Marv. And yeah, you're right; it is a bit strange when you hear him now. When you you thinking we could have had Jeremy Piffin over here, he's really cool. I'm just picking up on your your sense there about all of this detail about about the cars, about the objects. You you can't have too much detail, but the underlying message of the film, it seems, is is the opposite of that in a way. It seems to be about simplicity that life. The good life is is the life in in Radiator Springs. It's quite nostalgic in that sense. And when when we get that moment towards the end of the film where 
um, you know, the town comes back to life. It has it recovers its neon. It, you know, all the shops vibrant again. It's a happening place. It's a it's very much a world of the 1950s. The music, the car, you know, the cars with the big fenders. Um, I found I found that quite interesting. Stylistically, we sort of shifted from something that was more of a sort of late 20th century feel around the racing cars and you know smoothness, um, the the kind of branding. Of, of the cars and so on to something that, that that predated that and I was just trying to sort of work this out in terms of 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 the film and and it's kind of you know it's it's message as you might say it seems to be sort of anti that sense of striving and the American dream it seems to be saying like you know here is real value here's real value in a small town like this where people can develop relationships or it's not people actually it's cars can develop relationships um and but but it's also a, a world that's very invested in the detail of objects, as you're saying. I just wondered if people have had thoughts about that, about about the overall kind of framework of the film. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate what's been brought up about objects and and you know our um, autistic potential to to I guess imagine imagine what objects would be like if they were alive. Um, I did, I did struggle a bit with, um, I guess, with, with what Alex pointed out, with how far they, the film went with, um, you know, like, especially like the the cows that are, cows that are part of the machines and, and, the, and the flies that are machines. Uh, I, I started sort of going off on a tangent, like, well, who who made these machines? Who who built the fences? Like Like the car handles, who put the car handles on there? And then I was like, did something tragic before the humans? Why are the cars trying to emulate human society? And so it went off like that uh, in my head. I kept, just kept trying to work out, you know, who built these things? And, and when did consciousness come into play? What, what makes something conscious? Um, which I think is is probably too far too far because um i mean it, it it it's a it's an enjoyable film but um i don't think they intended us to get into existential worries about whether you know the plant pots were alive and stuff like that but um but i think yeah th there was something about it's kind it kind to me it kind of felt like it was still striving for the american dream like a, an old style of american dream like this sort of I think especially the setting, you know, in a kind of almost like Wild West setting with with a, a town that established that they're all interdependent on each other. Everyone has their place and they do really well for themselves rather than sort of what we've come to see recently in sort of like hyper capitalistic, like you can be a star, you can be the best of this. Um, I guess like it's more sort of a richness of community and um you're 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 not so concerned with having um extreme wealth but having enough to support to support your family and um and your community in a way and, and yeah whenever I think of the American dream I think of sort of the the like death of a salesman and stuff like he can't he can't catch a break but he doesn't really want 
as far as I remember, to be like, really, he doesn't want to be super rich. He just wants to be rich enough that he doesn't have to go off all the time trying to sell things. And I guess that happens for Lightning McQueen, sort of. He he does sort of go off to this, this community in the middle of nowhere and together they sort of fix it. So it, it did have those undertones for me, I think. Um, the thing, I think you were right, what you were saying is it, it is one of those films that... Uh, if you start thinking about it, there are in fact websites that explain the history of the, the they're really disturbing and very Cronenberg-esque. So if you look them up, I'll warn you in advance. Um, the thing I find that, that works for me kind of plot-wise, and Janet, when she said people, uh, oh, they're cars, is it, I think it's one of the few Pixar films that you could actually just replace the cars with, with people. It would be Lightning McQueen, The Racing Driver. Sally, the lawyer that's, you know, oh, she's had the drug habit moved from LA to, it It works with the people. But the thing I find about it, and it's a word I use with cars, like, it's unapologetic. And I think for me, and this is possibly me reading too much into it, as a kid, the, the big thing when I was seven that came out was Star Wars. And you had all the, de- really basic plot, we had all the detail and the things that come to. I remember George Lucas saying that he based it on Joseph Campbell's uh, and face it was the hero's journey, and then you went and you got the book and you read it about the hero's journey. The hero's journey works because it, it's perfect. Cars is unapologetically and simply the hero's journey with the mentor figure and the loss and the halfway point. And I think it, it's one of the few films today that actually understands that the reason that the hero's journey is work so well is it's the perfect way to to make a film or a story and i think what happens a lot today is there's a generation of filmmakers who know what it is but know what it is through hearing about it so they say oh we'll shake it up we'll defy expectations and rather than change the details of the journey they try and actually change the steps of the heroes so you get films like the last jedi that don't work because rather than change the details, they try to change the structure that's been there for like thousands of years that works as a story. And I think Cars, I would say it's it's unap- unapologetically a simple story told well, but that doesn't make it a simplistic story. And I think it resonates because, like you're saying, you can see it as like the small town Americana. You can you can appreciate the characters in it. You can appreciate that. And it, it's just a lovely story. And I think sometimes, much as um, I love Mario Bava, I love David Lynch, I love John Carpenter, occasionally I just want to sit and have a good old cry at how lovely a film is. And Cars is one of those films that has those moments in it. I, I think I said before, I, I always judge emotional content of films on the, the twin sunsets moment. My favourite scene in a film of all time is Luke watching the twin sunsets and the new hope even thinking about it makes me cry i can put it on to make myself cry and if films have those moments for me it's the bit when um as jack would say him and sally go for the drive and he just sits and they, they watch the, the the randy newman score wells up that basically says this music's gonna make you cry and you just go that's lovely that's what life and cinema is all about which is interesting with the white mage film. Amelia, one of my daughters, um, it's almost, I think I said before, it's the safe overstimulation with cinema 
that I get from it, my kids get from it. Amelia used to put on the it's the our town bit in that section. There's the, the flashback to when the route the, the road cut through and the town, and there's that Randy Newman song our town, which is really sad. Amelia used to put that scene on to make herself cry because she liked the feeling of feeling sad at this point in the film. And she would just put on cars and get the remote control and run forward to the air town bit. And it's almost as, as if, and this is probably me seeing too much into it or says more about it. Film in general, but especially films like Cars and A New Hope and The Wizard of Oz are safe ways of feeling sad. And it's almost, oh, it's almost like it tells you it's okay at this point. Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, uh, that's something that's been brought up before on this podcast where we've talked about kind of film as a safe way of overstimulating in a way. What this film reminded me of, what Cars reminded me of strongly was the um, the film, uh, the, the documentary Life Animated from um, a, a few years ago, uh, which was actually a film that that was part of our, uh, our Autism Through Cinema screenings at the Barbican that we did recently. It was one of the films that we screened there. And that's a film about... Um, a guy called, I think he's called Owen, who um, who sort of lives his, well, he's an autistic man who uh, talks about his very special connection with Disney. And he's talking about like kind of classic Disney um, more than anything, but he spends a lot of time where he has a full collection of Disney VHSs and DVDs and what have you, and he watches them um, a lot constantly. And they sort of help him navigate through different points of his life. Um, in the documentary, he's kind of moving away. He's moving out of his home and moving into a kind of residential college. So he's sort of, it's all about him dealing with that transition. And he's using Disney films and this kind of love of Disney to sort of help him make that transition and to help him sort of understand the emotions that he's sort of encountering and feeling. And when you were talking there about um, your the emotional, the rich emotional connection that you have with cars and your daughter has with cars and um, the the sort of the need to go to certain scenes in order to sort of be within that emotion in a kind of overstimulating but safe way. It's sort of, yeah, it reminded me a lot of Life Animated and how, and, um, and the sort of, this the way in which Owen in that film um, does something similar. And one of the other things that Owen talks about in Life Animated is um, his kind of love for the sidekicks in these uh, Disney films. So he's, he, he, Rather than interestingly, rather than particularly siding with the hero or or following with the hero's journey necessarily, he's more interested almost in the helper character, the sort of sidekick character. And it's interesting in this film, in Cars, that we've got um, that the sort of main helper, I suppose, is is Mater, who is the um, the I don't know what you would call him. What kind of truck is he? He's kind of a, a sort of he's got a big rusty hook on the back of his. Do you want to tell me what kind of truck he is? Does he have a name? <laughs> He doesn't have a name, but if if you get it, go and purchase the Blu-ray. There's a section on it where they show you the cars, and they said they were at a, a, an old farm in the middle of nowhere, and they found Mater. Oh, wow. And they, they basically said, we just photographed it and used this car. Yeah, he's like a big rusty kind of farm vehicle yeah, thing kind of with like a big, big tow truck on it, kind of tow pole on the back of him anyway he's a really interesting character and he's kind of a quite a typical sort of disney sidekick character full of life full of energy joyful 
but perhaps a little bit uh, maybe naive, uh, in a bit, little bit innocent in some ways, although not really, because I think you're right, you know, you mentioned him briefly before and John Lasseter said that he sort of connects with him and he, he's like a kind of much cleverer than he seems sort of character, but he's one of these that, um, you know, connects with the, the hero straight away, makes no judgments whatsoever and is just happy constantly all the time. Um, and there are many moments in the film where Meta, um, you know, is is sort of darting around. He's sort of stimming a bit. There's there's one bit where he uh, shows off about how he's the, the best car in the world at like reversing really really fast, and because he's got like rear view side mirrors and he's sort of zipping around like re reversing backwards and like uh, lightning mcqueen is amazed by his ability to do this and it's just such a kind of joyful energetic moment and it's just a a person effectively enjoying their activity and he sort of starts spinning as well which i think it, which is something that reminded me of like the stimming of autistic people for joyful pleasure and that kind of thing. Um, so, I, yeah, I was really interested in Mater as a kind of autistic figure, and I wonder what you might have thought about that, Ash. Uh, the thing I love about Mater is what you said is, and like I said, John Lasseter actually said he's autistic, is he has the things like you are saying, the stimming with the way the way it's But the lovely thing about Mater is they don't play him as this kind of, kind of uh, wise idiot figure. It's when he first comes on and lightning meets sally for the first time and mate to him that's sally the, the town attorney and my fiance and there's that humor there with mater that's kind of yeah you, know, you wouldn't normally get that with a character an autistic character going yeah making jokes like that and i think it, it's on the few films as well that that kind of now we can safely say that because joe last said it um You'll find it yourself, and, and the, the worst example at the moment is the uh, CM movie music. Is usually if there's an autistic character, they're there to make everyone else look good, and they're there for everyone. Else. And mate is just there, and you're right, mate is like incredibly joyful, and you know that kids love him. The interesting thing you were saying about uh, Life Animated with the side characters is I find that as well with my kids, and I do it myself to a certain extent. Cast his favorite character in Cars jumps between Mac which he absolutely loves Mac because Mac wears a hat uh, and he loves Chick Hicks, the, the bad guy. So Cassie would run around and go, Kachanga, Kachanga, and just have Chick Hicks toys. The girls loved the twins at the start because they're twins. So they loved the twin cars characters. Uh, yeah, you find that a lot. You kind of fixate on this side character. You could read into it and it does feel sometimes like you're a supporting character in your own story and you'll try and get your point across and you find as you get older that people kind of either just go, you're a bit odd and ignore you. So I don't know whether subconsciously you kind of gravitate towards side characters sometimes. Uh, but yeah, what you say about Mater, Mater is incredibly joyful. And gen I'm sorry, I find Mater genuinely funny. Not in the second one, there's too much of him. Uh, <laughs> but the first one, just right. Uh, it's my favourite line in it when... Uh, Spoilers, Lightning McQueen finds out that Doug Hudson is, in fact, the fabulous Hudson Hornet. He comes out and goes, but he's got a piston cup. And Mater, he did what, this cup? Which is incredibly childish, but genuinely funny. And I make no apologies for finding Mater really amusing. I was wondering if there was... Um, so at the, at the beginning of the film, Lightning McQueen is, is quite... He's quite a selfish character, or he's, he's very focused on himself and achieving his goals. And... 
by sort of meeting Meta and the other characters, he learns to sort of appreciate other people for their strengths and and their characters, or, or I mean, just their right to exist. He's he's quite dismissive of the other people when he first gets to the town, and um, so I wondered if there was some sort of lesson or value in recreate almost recreating real life with with uh cartoon characters in in this in this way um it's not too like real life like no, no one has like really serious problems that would i mean they're pretty serious but they're not like they wouldn't put kids off it it, it kind of reminds me of spongebob <laughs> that I know a lot of autistic people love as well, where Spongebob sort of goes to work every day. There, there are issues that come up around money, around him not, around him being bullied and trying to pass his driving test and stuff like that. So they're, they're sort of real world problems, but the way they're, the way they're tackled sort of with humor and, and a lightheartedness. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe there was a, slight and maybe there is an intent to teach children to deal with these issues i'm not sure i think what you were saying about lightning at the start um yeah he's i'd say slightly arrogant to live like quickly, but i think the, the the way it works to show you that is you don't have as you normally would have the arrogant character who oh he lives here of his ways there are bits at the start of the film where everyone is actually taking the mickey out of lightning mcqueen for being so arrogant and there's uh, the king tries to have the talk with him and he has the daydream sequence about being the Dynaco golden boy, which I don't know whether you know, Dynaco is the oil company from Toy Story. It's a bizarre shared multiverse. It's like Marvel. Um, so you get points throughout the film where Lightning, he might be arrogant and he might be, full, but he's the butt of quite a lot of jokes as it goes through. So I think that kind of disarms you. The, the, I, I go back to it, it's the Owen Wilson personality. It, he pulls off the being arrogant because Mate has taken the mickey out of him. Sally takes the mickey out of him. Doc Hudson's got no time for him. I think the only real friend he's got at the start of the film is Mac. And that's basically because that's Mac's job. And Mac's going to get into trouble if anything happens to Lightning McQueen. Um, so I think it, it kind of gives you those lessons. And it's I, I go back to it, it's that thing I was saying, it's a really simple story told well, but then it has the nuances that, you know, Lightning's a bit of a nasty guy, but other people notice it. And, you know, Doc Hudson's the, the, the upstanding pillar of the community, but he's got the dark side and he does the, the really nasty thing at the end. And I love the fact that it, it does a lot of the show and tell, but with the again, this was the Doc Hudson part. When Doc Hudson he phones the the racing team to come and get Lightning McQueen out of the town. The next thing you know, Doc's leading Lightning's pit crew. You don't need to see what happens between men because you know enough about the characters that Sally's gone and said something to. So a lot of the things like that, it kind of leaves to you to kind of get you don't certain things you don't need and uh, the interesting thing that it just hit me but remind me about the the intensity the end racing cars in a normal film would be really really intense like the opening the race at the end between the king chick hicks and like is actually really slow paced 
because it's almost like they know we've done the intensing, you know how the race works. We'll have the climactic race actually quite leisurely so we can have some character bits in it with him um, racing on the dirt, him going past Chick Hicks backwards. And it, it wasn't until watching it again on Tuesday that I actually realised the pacing for the, the end race shouldn't work. This should be really exciting. And I think the excitement and the drama comes up. You've spent 90 minutes with these characters and you genuinely really like them. And yes, as you know kind of what's going to happen at the end. But the journey's been so lovely that you kind of don't mind. And again, what you said about the side characters, you can go, oh, what's the point of the film? Oh, Lightning's learned to take it easy and love everyone. What's the more? Oh, it's Radiator Springs is back on the map. Or it could be oh, Doc Hudson deals with his demons and his ghosts. There is so much going on on it that's just, I keep going back to it. It's a simple story, but it's not told simplistically. And it's a simple story. And it's, it's it unapologetically was, it's not sniggering and going, yeah, this is for kids. Here's, here's some boob jokes for the moms and dads. Joe, you know, that way, uh, much as I love Madagascar, you have, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen playing King Julian, who's just been uh, Borat, basically, in the movie. Um, it doesn't do any of that, and it's kind of refreshing. You can probably tell, I quite like Cars. <laughs> I mean, we've talked a little bit about the um, moralising and, and lessons learned in this film, um, and I felt, compared to other Pixar films, it was very loud, very f- at the forefront, this idea of learning lessons. Um, and, you know, I was a little less convinced of the autistic coding of Mater, which I'd read about before I watched the film, and, and I wasn't aware that John Lester has ever self-identified as autistic. But um, so I was, you know, trying to work out what this film was in, in reference to autism. And it seemed there's lots of people online talking about it as a special interest or something that taps into their special interest in either cars or actually the film cars is their special interest. It seems to resonate. And, and Ash, that, that, that sort of, you know, it's not about cars for you. It's, it's about the film cars. Um, and so it sort of has that, that sort of aptitude for um, passion. And then I was thinking, well, what is this moralizing in the story about? Um, and it seems like it's maybe even a cautionary tale about special interests. Um, it's a story about someone who's so single-mindedly determined to win this cup that they sacrifice the respect for their crew and uh, they get themselves into terrible trouble with um, not really caring about anybody else's feelings about anything else other than the race. And um, gradually throughout the narrative, they learn how to appreciate different things in the world and the sort of um, plethora of delights that the rest of life can offer to you. So I thought, well, is that, that's interesting maybe, but I mean, is that problematic? I don't know. You know, the idea of sort of undermining a sort of passionate individual focus. Um, Yeah. So that was how I was thinking about it. I was just thinking a little short while ago that that there isn't much, um, there isn't really that much transformation for the characters in, in the, well, there is, but in in other Pixar films, there's kind of like big social upheavals, like Grave and Merida doesn't have to get married at the end. And, and she's kind of, um, she's 
her and her mother's relationship is fixed and she's allowed to to sort of express her likes and interests and her gender how how she how she wants um and then what in a way that's true to her and i mean toy story they they move house and the whole social hierarchy changes but it's yeah it doesn't seem like there's a lot of um a lot of options for these characters to to change um their roles in society um and it in a way it works because everyone has their job to do and, and their role and, and and it makes sense and everyone works together so it i think it goes it could work both ways so there's this sort of nice interconnectedness of everyone bringing their skills and working as a community but then it also feels a tiny bit like everyone's sort of trapped in that role um and only certain characters get the chance to to transform themselves i mean even even the town like the, the focus on getting the town back to its glory days is sort of going backwards not forwards it's going back to what what janet said is kind of like a 1950s style um aesthetic yeah i, I can see the point with that i think sometimes it's it's nice to to have smaller stories that don't have to have a big outcome i mean toy story is the one um again my kids love toy story i find toy story really weird because i still have my toys a lot of them boxed from when i was a kid so toy story is nightmarish because yeah why have i got to give my toys away if my toys are talking what are they doing at night have they got the personalities that you know it becomes slightly weird it's almost lynchian <laughs> to me whereas i think sometimes it's not much changes, but on a, on a personal level, it changes. And it's the whole thing, it's routine. They have a routine at the end of it. And I think it's a weird, when it, it's obviously the point is the, the autism through cinema. I always find it weird sometimes because, to try and explain it, because I can't see a film other than through an autistic eye. The, the perfect example I always use, and, and we kind of jokingly argue about it, uh, my wife loves 2001, Space Odyssey. I prefer Star Trek The Motion Picture because that's 2001, but it's got a nice blue hue to it. And at the very end of the film, Bone stands up and tells you what happens. So they, they do the 2001 kind of Vija and Decker and Ilea evolve into the next stage of in this life, and then... Kurt goes, so what was that? And Bones goes, I think they've evolved and become a new species. It's a bit like a baby being born. And I go, yeah, I really like that. It's so autistically, here's what's happening and we'll explain it to you again. Here's a nice lovely shot of the Enterprise. There's something that you know, but it's, and I think sometimes it's nice. Um, I mean, you get the follow-on stuff. You find out Radiator Springs has changed because Lightning's set up his racing base there and You've got the dark hoods and music and all that. Um, and I think it's at the time, it, it, it's a film that I, we said earlier about the why the car's got the handles. Why are there VW Beatles as insects? Why are the planes leaving car tracks when there are actually planes? I, I, I think you kind of, I, I still have that. I'm not going to say childish. It's a childlike wonder with cinema. So I just accept it. And I got to the end of the film a little bit, and I, I don't think about, the kind of social implications of it. I've just I've just watched a really really nice story about a cool racing car, um, and part of me never wants to lose that 
ability to just go to the and feel wonder and feel emotion and cry and cheer and just take it for what it is. And I think I don't know whether originally it was seeing it with my children. That's part of it, but part of it I watched it and it it's really difficult to explain why it resonates without kind of taking the mickey out of myself for a bit. The, the, the kind of yeah, I I love like I love it because I love Lightly McQueen. I genuinely I love Sally. I think she's wonderful. Um, I love I love Doc Hudson. I love everything about the film. I love to boot chick Hicks, and the fact that it's Michael Keaton makes it better. It's the best Batman playing a, a car with a mustache. It's things like that that you might find silly, but they give me so much joy. And cinema to me is about joy and about obviously relation and about sometimes being terrified, but just joy and wonder and and cars to me gives me so much joy that you, you kind of go yeah the third one's brilliant as well but you know the the first one is just it's just a joyous film but I, I don't think it tries to be anything else other than lightning learns to take things slower doc hudson learns to deal with the past here's me to making a joke and i think sometimes we need films that just do that we need a film that just you go, you know what? That was really enjoyable. And it might, you might, some people might think a film like that is kind of throwaway or kind of, you know, not worthy of discussion. But sometimes I think, I think we get to a point sometimes where we miss the point of why we have cinema. Uh, it's kind of off the track when it says, and it's when Peter Jackson remade King Kong and it was what, 80 hours long. And, you know, just, and you go, ah, oh. and then, Kong Skull Island came out, and everyone could be like, oh, it's just a monster movie. But then you look back, you know, the original King Kong is effectively just a monster movie. The reason it's so successful, probably, is it's the very first one. You go back to the original, it doesn't do anything apart from here's a monkey fighting fighting dinosaurs and fighting planes. There's no social commentary in it. Whereas Peter Jackson looked at it and went, this is a really important film. Must be 20 days long. Let's have King Kong ice skating. You're like, I want to see him fight a dinosaur. <laughs> I want to see fights and biplanes. And I think sometimes filmmakers do it a lot as well. And you can over contextualize films and over analyze to a point of. And I think it, I'd like to think of it as an autistic thing. I can just enjoy a feeling or a scene or a moment. And the overwhelming sense it gives me it's a scene from a film can make me cry because. It's so overstimulating. The start of Cars, I break into tears because it's big. It's too big. I love the feeling it gives me and I don't want to think about why. I just want to enjoy the feeling. Sorry, I was wittering on there. No, not at all. You're, I mean, we probably are in the business of overanalyzing films here. That's, that's kind of been my career, really. Um, but what you're saying about emotion, what, you know, the joy that you bring, I think, is quite infectious. Anyway, you're, you know, you're. It's it's very, very likable. Your your love for this film, quite catching. So it's really nice to think of it through that through that frame. But I'm picking up on on that point that you're saying about you've you've talked a lot about crying, about how how emotional the the film makes you feel. And I wanted to just come back to that place of feelings at the end of this. We're coming up to the end of our time, but there's this line in the film that uh, that. I didn't know what to make of, and I'm going to go away and think about it forevermore and wonder if I, if I don't ask people. But it's that line that gets repeated. I create feelings in others that they themselves don't understand. 
And I think we get that first from um, from Lightning McQueen. And I think we get it played back to him towards the end of the film. Um, and so I, I, I was wondering about it. I was thinking, is that, is that, if we think about this film through an autistic framework as we're doing today, is that a line that seems to come from the point of view of, of the perspective of autism? I create feelings in others that they themselves don't understand. Um, or is it the reverse? Is it kind of neurotypical, um, a neurotypical point of view that's sort of projected onto an autistic framework, you know, creating feelings that they don't understand. I just, it just seemed to stand out to me as part of a discourse about, about autism that gets um, quite a lot of airing in our culture about what kinds of feelings get produced in relation to one another in terms of autism and neurotypicality. I just wondered if that, if it, how, what, what people thought of that and whether it stood out for them in the same way. Doesn't that quote, really relate to hubris and sort of uh, and the arrogance of Lightning McQueen. Um, if I recall correctly, he's sort of boasting too much. And there's a sort of claim to mastery that that um, is turned around on him later um, when it's repeated. So, I mean, if it is a sort of claim of I make feelings in other people that they don't understand that might be a sort of representative of a neurotypical assumptions of mastery um, relating and, and sort of dictating what how emotions or or ways of being are, are determined through a sort of a, a set of norms and rendering all those that deviate from it as disordered or um, naive or or whatever. Um, yeah, and I guess I guess the nice thing about it is the reversal sort of maybe suggests that uh, these these norms can be uh, inverted, or you can see it from a different lens. It's a sort of maybe reflects the double empathy perspective. I sort of thought on this is that it, 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 yeah, I think it's a really good line to pick up on, Janet. But it's like in a way, it sort of suggests that um, it sort of it sort of puts a pin into f always having to fully understand and intellectualize and contextualize every single emotion that everyone ever feels about anything. And I quite like this idea of like um, generating emotions that people don't really understand because in a way that is sort of what emotion is. It, 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 these are, the emotions are these things that we talk a lot about and try and generate a lot about in, in each other and through our, the art and culture that we create but we spend all of our lives trying to actually fathom them and understand them and how they function and how they work. And in a way, this film is sort of, and that line, I suppose, might be saying, it doesn't matter, it actually. It, what matters is the feeling of the emotions rather than the, um, rather than understanding fully what they, how they're generated and what they mean. And I think, I don't know, this might resonate somewhat with, with autistic people because I think there's so much pressure and focus on, how autistic people feel emotions or how they um how they express them or if they're expressing them wrongly or differently to somebody you know to a neurotypical person whereas actually something like cars as as ash has been as ash has been sort of enthusiastically showing us is just about allowing yourself the pleasures of being within those emotions and not necessarily um uh scrutinizing them for being incorrect or wrong or different or, or whatever it might be and perhaps that's one of the joys that that, that cars and that pixar generally 
have managed to tap into in some ways. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting thought, though, definitely. I always read the line totally different. Um, I always read it. It's, he says it to uh, Sally because he's not used to girl cars not throwing themselves at him. And she throws it back at the end because he's actually seen the real world and she's sarcastically throwing it back at him. But I just kind of read it really simple. That's just me. But that's, that's the joy of these things. You can read them in all sorts of different ways. What about you, Janet? What do you think on that now? Um, I think Ash has given me a whole new angle on it. I think that's, I think as a whole, yeah, I, I can see that that's part of his learning curve, his whole trajectory that he gets, he gets that line delivered back to him. So yeah, I can see how that fits the framework of the film, as well as I think what, you know, what other people have been saying about, um, about feelings being difficult and being, um, you know, sort of spaces of not knowing for us, um, some things we're not in control of, and that often gets sort of landed on the autistic person as, as, as someone who isn't able to orient themselves around in, in the world of feelings. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think it has multiple meanings in this film and that's, that's great. Okay, um, thank you. So I think that probably draws us to a close. I mean, I did just want to throw one last uh, little pebble into the pond here, the discussion, which is to note what I found the most disturbing thing about this film, which was Lightning McQueen's tongue, which we haven't mentioned. <laughs> um, but as soon as his tongue emerges in that first race and then he uses it to 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 almost win the race was quite freaky um, and I think that maybe set the tone for the rest of the film but anyway it's it's fine um but yeah anyway let's let's just like let's end it there on that note so thank you very much um thank you to Alex John James and Janet for your discussions as always but an extra special thanks to Ash firstly for bringing this film to us and secondly for talking so wonderfully about it um as part of the past podcast so thank you very much Ash Thank you for having me and thank you for putting up with my inane ramblings about a red racing car. <laughs> <laughs> we love a good inane rambling. We don't have enough of it. Um, yes, thank you very much. Okay, we'll draw it to a close there. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. Um, do tune in again in a couple of weeks' time and we'll have another episode. But for now, goodbye. You have been listening to the Autism Through Cinema podcast, hosted by John James Laidlow, Alex Whittleson, Janet Harbord and David Hartley. Thanks also to Leverett Jakes for supporting us with their unfailingly excellent editing skills. Our theme song is Waterfall by Meter, used under a Creative Commons attribution from Null Teal Records. The Autism Through Cinema podcast is brought to you by the Autism Through Cinema project, based at Queen Mary, University of London, and funded by the Wellcome Trust. For more on the project, please visit autism-through-cinema.org.uk and follow us on Twitter at Autism Cinema. If you'd like to contribute to the discussion of the films we talk about, or if you have any suggestions for future episodes, please email us at cinemaautism at gmail.com. That's cinemaautism with a shared A in the middle of the word. We'll be back again in two weeks' time with another slice of neurodivergent cinematics. Bye for now.